Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, A Mother's Advice to Kings. All right, praise the Lord. So I was planning on teaching part two of our series, The Prosperity of God, this morning, but totally forgot when I planned the series that this was Mother's Day. So I've got a message for you this morning that I'm calling A Mother's Advice to Kings. A Mother's Advice to Kings. You know, one of the most fascinating mothers that you'll find in all the Bible is the mother of a man named King Lemuel, who you can read about in Proverbs 31. And as many of you are aware, Proverbs 31 is the go-to scripture that everybody uses when they want to teach on womanhood. Amen. And want to teach on what a virtuous woman looks like and what she should aspire to be. Amen. And you can find that woman, the virtuous woman, described in verses 10 through 31 of Proverbs 31. But it's not my intention to preach or teach on the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 this morning, even though it would be worthwhile. No, I'm more interested in the mother who has advice for kings. And you find that woman in verses 1 through 9 of Proverbs 31. And you hardly ever find anybody preaching or teaching on these verses on that woman and what she has to say. So we're going to dig into this woman who gave advice to kings. And as we do, I want you to keep one thing in the back of your minds. We were all made to be kings when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. Let me show you that in the word. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. New King James Version. Now, give you a little background. John is having the revelation where he's been caught up to heaven and he sees a lamb and the lamb has a scroll and he's been deemed worthy to open the scroll and pronounce judgment on the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. So they're singing a song as this unfolds. It says here in verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. So the advice you're about to hear is for kings. But since we're kings in Christ, we need to hear it and we need to heed it as well. A mother's advice to kings. Now, a little bit of background on Proverbs 31. Concerning the identity of King Lemuel, the listed author of Proverbs 31, there's a few theories out there. You need to kind of know what they are. Some believe that Lemuel was actually King Hezekiah. Others believe it was a fictitious name and sort of a fictitious story that the writer used to illustrate the concept of a virtuous woman. Still others believe, as I do, that Lemuel, which means devoted to God, was actually King Solomon, and the term Lemuel was a pet name given to him by his mother 
when he was a young boy. The more I read it, the more I believe it. I've heard others preach it, but it clicked with me the first time I heard it. And that would mean, if that is true, that would mean that Bathsheba, the wife of King David, was the mother of King Lemuel, a.k.a. King Solomon. Amen. And that opens up a whole lot of amazing things concerning the transformation of the woman that Bathsheba was into the virtuous woman that you see described in Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. Everybody with me? So since I'm convinced in my spirit that I'm right, I'm going to unpack Proverbs 31, verse 1 through 9, as if the woman being addressed is Bathsheba, and the young man being addressed is her son, Solomon, the future king of Israel. So Proverbs 31, verse 1 through 9, I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. The, the caption at the top says the words of King Lemuel. Verse 1 says the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. An oracle that his mother taught him. The Hebrew word translated there as oracle is the word Masah. And Masah means a burden, a heavy word, a prophecy. So Bathsheba had a heavy word that she felt compelled to give to her son. And that's the context of verse 1 through 9. It's actually a prophetic word given to Solomon by his mother Bathsheba. And not only does she give him that word, but she must have done it repeatedly because the son remembered every word that she spoke to him in this prophetic utterance, and he recorded it exactly as he remembered it in the first nine verses of Proverbs 31. You know, it's noteworthy that it says his mother taught her son this prophetic utterance, not the father. Because most of the time through the book of Proverbs, you find the father giving instruction and wisdom to the son. Amen. But there are a couple places, including this one, where mothers are singled out and it's said of them that they also provided advice and instruction to their sons. You can find it, for example, in Proverbs 1 verse 8 and Proverbs 6 verse 20, where the fathers told the sons to listen to the advice and the wisdom of their mothers. Amen. Amen. Verse 2. Bathsheba says, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? She asks the questions, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? If you think about it, there's something very visceral about the way she cries out like this. It's obvious that she had a very intimate relationship with her son. Amen? She's expressing the deep and intimate connection that she has with her son. You know, for nine months I carried you. When you were a baby, I, I nursed you. And I watched you grow into a young man. You are part of me, and I am part of you. Mothers, you know what that's like, right? So she says, with all of this in mind, what are you doing, son of my vows? 
This says to me that she probably made a vow to God that she would raise her son right in spite of her sinful and sorrowful past. I say it like that for this reason. If you remember the story, Bathsheba was the one who had an adulterous affair with King David before they were married. Not only did King David have an affair with Bathsheba, but he he devised a wicked plan to cover up the affair by having her husband, one of his most trusted generals, placed in battle where he knew he would be killed. They had a baby together. But the baby died shortly after he was born. And if you know the story, you know he repented of his sin to Nathan the prophet and the Lord forgave him. And the Lord obviously forgave Bathsheba too because she had a part in it. Nevertheless, it was a huge scandal. And twice David almost lost the kingdom as a result. And to add emotional pain to all of this drama, it was two of his own sons that led rebellions against him and tried to steal the kingdom from him. Then, as time went by, as amazing as it may seem, the Lord actually blessed the marriage of David and Bathsheba, and they gave birth to Solomon, who became the king of Israel after David. You know, with a messed up history like that, I'll have to say this. If you think your marriage is messed up and beyond repair, why don't you take a look at this one? If God can unscramble that kind of mess and bring a Solomon into the world as a result, he can repair and restore any marriage. Hallelujah. Felt the anointing on that. Amen. Glory to God. Okay, with all of this context and this history in mind, let's, let's get back to verse 2. Three times she asked the question, What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? In other words, what are you doing? Now, I believe that since it was a prophetic word that Bathsheba is seeing in the spirit and she sees a potential in the future for her son to succumb to some of the same temptations that corrupted other kings, including his father, King David. And she desperately wants to get him to heed her prophetic advice. Listen to what she has to say to him in verse 3. Do not give your strength to women. Your ways to those who destroy kings. First thing I see there is strength. In the Bible, the legs of a man are a symbol of the strength of a man. And it reminds me of Rocky Balboa in the first Rocky movie when he was flirting around with some girls and his manager came up to him and said, Stop it! Women weaken legs! Which is another way of saying, they'll rob you of your strength. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. This is astounding to me. Think about that. Think about the ramifications. Here Bathsheba warns Solomon not to succumb to the lure and lust of strange women, knowing full well that she herself was instrumental in almost destroying King David and ripping the kingdom away from him. Do you see that? 
How agonizing it must have been to see prophetically that her son might one day repeat the same mistakes that his father did. She was desperately trying to warn him not to follow the custom of the kings of that day, which was to amass huge numbers of wives and concubines as a status symbol, I suppose, and to also indulge unhealthy and destructive desires. Sadly, we know that King Solomon, although he built a great kingdom, did not finish strong because the numerous wives and concubines that he accumulated along the way, they led him astray away from the paths of righteousness. I mean, 300 wives and 700 concubines? That's a thousand women. You could be with a different woman every night for over three years. I say one woman is enough to keep up with. A thousand would drive you mad. Amen. So, all of this might have been advice for earthly kings. But as I said before, because we're all called to reign as kings in this life, we can also benefit from this advice. Fathers and mothers, teach your sons and your daughters the virtue and the value of sexual purity. Teach them that sex was ordained of God, and it's wonderful and beautiful within the bonds of marriage, but outside the bonds of marriage, it's nothing but ugly. Save them the sorrow, the pain, and the regret and the regret of indulging the desires of the flesh before it's time and with someone you're not married to. Having said all that, when your kids get to that age where they start to ask you questions about the opposite sex, try to foster an environment where they feel comfortable asking you questions about their sexuality. Otherwise, they'll take their questions underground to other sources of information that may not be godly or accurate. Amen. Might even be downright perverted. Now, having raised three daughters, I can tell you that it's easier said than done. And Trisha and I didn't always get it right. You know, we live in an increasingly perverted and sexually obsessed world. And it's becoming increasingly difficult for parents and children alike to navigate these murky waters. It almost feels like we're fighting a losing battle against the onslaught that's all around us. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in commercials. Now they've got the homosexual innuendos and in commercials, and it's just downright disappointing, discouraging. Let's pray that this great revival that is upon us will awaken the nations to a movement towards sexual purity and virtue to respect for life, respect for manhood, and respect for womanhood. Verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. You know, if you read the whole counsel of God, if you read everything in the Bible that talks about wine and strong drink, you find that the Bible doesn't teach total abstinence from alcoholic beverages. The Bible doesn't say you have to be what is called a teetotaler. But it does warn against drunkenness as a form of overindulgence and excess. 
And since earthly kings of that day were highly exalted by the people, they were prone to overindulgence because of their position, their power, and their privilege. So Bathsheba warns her son to avoid the consumption of strong drink altogether. Just leave it alone altogether, she says. I think her reasoning went something like this. Drunken kings issue drunken rulings, and they make drunken decrees. Drunken kings forget their righteous decrees and forget their responsibility to uphold the rights of those they're sworn to protect. Having said that, if you choose to drink responsibly and with moderation, you're free to do so. Just make sure you apply wisdom when you do. You especially need to avoid the possibility of offending your brother or sister in Christ who may hold a position that's different from yours when it comes to consuming alcoholic beverages. Just be sensitive, just follow the Spirit, and you'll be right. Verse 6. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. You know, it seems kind of odd to read this in the Bible, but this is actually a reference to the medicinal purposes of alcohol that have been used throughout the ages. And from Bathsheba's perspective, it was a much more noble and humane purpose for alcohol. For example, in, in the American frontier back in the day, there were many a country doctor that had to use whiskey or some other type of strong drink as an anesthetic before doing surgery or other medical procedures on their patients. Here's your anesthetic. Drink half this fifth of whiskey. You won't feel a thing. <laughs> you know, and strong drink was actually used in Civil War field hospitals as well. If you read about it, it's pretty horrifying. They even did amputations with nothing but whiskey for the pain. Can you imagine? I mean, there's no fifth of liquor that'll save the pain in that. You know, it might make it less, but it's still going to be horrifyingly bad. You know, warriors of old were mortally wounded on the battlefield with only hours to live. They were given wine or other strong drink to numb their pain and comfort them in their final moments of life. It was a thing. It's been done through the ages. In Jesus' day, this is what, you're, what I want you to really focus on. In Jesus' day, the ladies of Jerusalem were known for providing a medicated wine to those that were being crucified. Again, it was done to deaden their pain and make their last few hours on the cross more tolerable. Let me show you a very important example in the Word, Matthew 27, 34. Matthew 27, 34, New King James. This is talking about Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. He's pretty close to death. And it says here in verse 34, They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. He refused to drink the medicinal alcohol that was provided to deaden his pain. Why? Because it was prophesied that he would take all the pain and suffering of all mankind upon himself. He didn't want to bypass anything he was supposed to take upon himself. 
He took it all, and he took it all for you and me. Amen. He took it all. Amen. Amen. So what was Bathsheba really saying in these first seven verses that we've already read? What was she really trying to get across to her son? I believe it goes far beyond merely warning kings to pursue sexual purity and avoid the dangers of alcohol abuse. I think it goes way beyond that. I believe her overarching point was that kings ought not use their positions of power, privilege, and authority as an invitation for self-indulgence and sinful pleasures. They ought instead to use their positions to serve the needs of their people, to serve the greater good of their kingdom. And that advice she saves for verses 8 and 9. Again, keep in mind, this was a heavy word of prophecy that she gave to her son. She tells him by the Spirit what not to do with his power, his privilege, and his authority. And now she tells him what to do with his power, his privilege, and his authority. Verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Did you hear that? Open your mouth and speak up for those who have no voice. The forgotten ones, the ones that nobody's listening to. Speak out against injustice. Demand justice for both the rich and the poor, for the somebodies and for the nobodies. Attend to their needs. Fight for the rights of those under your domain, for those who are destitute. You know, destitute people have nothing. They got nobody in their corner. And Bathsheba says, if you as their king don't come through for them, there's no one else they can turn to. Verse 9. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Listen to that. Open your mouth. You know, one of the things that kings do is they make decrees. They open their mouth and they make decrees. So open your mouth and make righteous decrees. Amen. And uphold those decrees after they've been spoken by judging righteously and defending the rights of the poor and the needy. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm wrapping it up already. I know it was short and sweet, but I believe it was impactful as well. As kings in Christ, this is advice that we can all follow. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been elevated to a position of power, privilege, and authority in the spirit realm. So use that power, that privilege, that authority to stand for righteousness, truth, and justice in our land today by the prayers that you pray, the decrees that you make, and the actions that you take. Don't get haughty or high-minded because of your position, but remember it was God who put you there. Not because of anything you did. It was all because of what Jesus did, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, A Mother's Advice to Kings. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us, 
and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.